Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new exciting episode of Pulp Today. I'm your host, David Avaloni, and with me today is the fantastic Mr. Gary Phillips. <laughs> Thanks for having me, David. Oh, my pleasure, Gary. Tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself, Gary. Uh, well, uh, I've been around for a while, as you can tell by these roadmap of a face, and <laughs> I uh, write uh, crime fiction mostly. I guess hard-boiled would be the uh, the sub-genre you would place me under, I, I suppose, with a sub subcategory of noir. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also written some comics, uh, as you have, David, and I've written uh, quite a few short stories, and I've um, edited several anthologies, uh, including... Uh, the Obama Inheritance, 15 Stories of Conspiracy Noir uh, that won the uh, Anthony Award. I think that was in 2018. Yeah, 2018. Nice. And, uh, and I have a new book just out now called One Shot Harry, uh, set in 63 in Los Angeles. Uh, and it's been getting some lovely reviews uh, all over the place. Uh, and it's in a, a hardback uh, from uh, Soho Crime, which is part of Soho Press. That's fantastic. I hadn't I hadn't been following that, so I'll have to pick that up. I have to say this this episode's been a long time coming. You have the unique uh, position, for want of a better word. You're the only person people have said to me, "Oh, I watched Pulp today. You got to get Gary Phillips on there." <laughs> uh, combination of obviously your talent, but mostly like that voice. <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to hear? Who doesn't want to hear classic fiction read in that voice? There you so, go. Yeah. This is my, this yeah. is my dad's voice and my and my son who's uh, how old is he now? He's he thirty five. Oh my god, my son is thirty five and his voice is deeper than mine. So there you go. Hard to believe, but yeah, and and to be absolutely honest, I've been wanting to do a Chester Himes episode for a really long time, but. I don't think my voice is the voice to read Chester Himes with. Uh, <laughs> I I think that is it. That would be inappropriate. Is probably the kindest word. Uh, know. So, who knows? Who knows? So who when knows? you uh, when you brought up uh, Himes as a as a as a possibility for the episode, I was like, oh, finally, I get to do a Chester Himes episode. So uh, you wanted to read from uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem, right. which is part of a series involving two police detectives named Coffin Ed. And Gravedigger Jones. Yes. Oh wait, here we go. That's a better, that's a better cover to you. That's not that's not the cotton coffin. That's not the cotton comes of Harlem color, but it's a better, better kind of cover that gives you a sense of the books. Yeah, I have uh, the real cool killers from that from that series from that yeah. collection, yeah. and uh, it is it's a those are those are really well put together books. But tell us a little bit about Cotton Comes to Harlem and about that series. So Chester Himes, for for the folks that don't know, real quick, was uh, um, really he. Well, he has a big story, and you know, there's there's two biographies of Chester Himes that I would recommend. One is by James Salas, who's himself something of a of a fine writer, not something of a fine writer. He is a fine writer, and I know him somewhat. And uh, and his is an earlier biography, and I, and there's a fairly recent one by uh, 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 Lawrence P. Jackson. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so both of those should be looked at. It should be noted that Himes, uh, did time in prison, uh, Ohio state penitentiary. Uh, he, uh, he, but even then he was writing or, uh, doing short stories that were, uh, uh printed in, uh, Esquire. 
that were publishing this book. And um, he knocked around. He came out to California. He was out here in the 40s. He actually had a brief stint as a uh, screenwriter at Warner mm -hmm. Brothers, though there's a somewhat infamous story about uh, that uh, that time, which is recounted in Mike Davis's uh, City of Courts uh, book. Oh, yeah. Um, which, by yeah. the way, let's just do a sidebar. That's a fantastic book. Isn't it? Yeah. City, City of Quartz. Uh, yeah. You know, someone basically handed that to me when I arrived in Los Angeles, and I'm very glad they did because it was That's a great. great. That's right. It's sort of a social political uh, excavation of the history of, of Los Angeles. Yeah. And particularly on what, on, on Los Angeles as a city of exiles and refugees. Right. There you uh, go. Who built the culture. I always compare Los Angeles to Casablanca. We're all, you know, we're all here waiting for our letters of transit. Exactly. Um, but we yeah, came from the water and look what we got. So yeah, yeah, but it, no, that's that's right, that's right. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I, and in fact, just another sidebar to take us down that road for just one more second. Sure, it is certainly one of the books that, uh, for instance, I just mentioned. I, you know, I have this novel set in '63, and certainly it's it's Mike's book. Actually, Mike Mike has another book that he co-wrote called uh, "Los Angeles in the '60s." Mm. With John Wiener, and it's a it's even more massive than City of Quartz, and that's got some great anecdotal stuff that I use. Uh, Fire this time by Gerald Horn, sure. And I'll just finish them with Joe Dominic's book, which is called um, which is called To Protect and Serve mm. the LAPD's Century of War in the City of Dreams, uh, and it's a history of the LA Police Department. Wow. So anyway, all those to say is that those are the tomes that I have literally sitting next to my computer. Not sure. this. This is a little portable computer. I got to do this because you kids have these cameras in them. <laughs> but but I have an old computer upstairs and I have it sitting sure. next to my desk. Sure. Uh, so Hines uh, comes out here. He writes then what would be considered uh, mainstream novels, uh, particularly if he hollers, "Let him go." Which and is the a lonely, classic. Yes, and the Lonely Crusade. Um, and but they don't do as well as 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 he would have liked through a series of things and, and incidents. Uh, he eventually moves uh, like James Baldwin. He leaves uh, the states uh, for somewhat greener pastures, both in a racial sense and political sense and 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 career sense, mm -hmm. and winds up in the fifties. I think it's toward the yeah. I guess the tail end of the fifties writing a series or beginning to write a series of novels uh, set in Harlem. And people should be mindful that Himes knew about, as much about Harlem as, as I know about Istanbul. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, he'd been there a time or two, but he wasn't, sure. you know, he wasn't a denizen of Harlem. He wasn't, right. a city, you know, yeah, yeah. And I think stuff he found on a map or just looked up another book. Yeah. 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 So, but but really, this lends to the character and the uh, absurdist nature, as people have pointed out, yes. of these novels. Uh, the first novel is called "For Love," uh, "For Love of Immabel," which mm -hmm. is retitled a, "A Rage in Harlem" some years later. Yep. Coffin Ed uh, Johnson and Gravedigger Jones, his two Harlem detectives. They're in that first book, but very uh, minimally. They're not in there a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and in fact, there's a, there's a movie, right? Uh, Rage in Harlem. Movie. Movie. And I, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, it's Bill Duke's um, directorial debut. Yes. It's beautifully directed. It's a great film. has a beautiful score by Elmer Bernstein. And if I remember correctly, he hired 
a couple of great old character actors slash stand-up comics to play Coffin Ed. George, and- yeah, George Wallace plays George. one of them. <laughs> yes, so great. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But but even in the movie, right? They're they're barely Minor there. Right? They kind of show yeah. up now and then, and, and they're kind of toward yeah. the end, which is which is actually true to the source material. Yeah. yeah. But because these were the two, uh, and I, oh, and I, another little segue, but a, a kind of an important segue. If this is in this is in uh, uh, Jackson's uh, biography of mm-hmm. uh, Himes, and I've read a couple of accounts elsewhere. Himes apparently was inspired by two black LAPD detectives here in the 40s in Los mm-hmm. Angeles to create his two characters, uh, a man named Jess Kimbrough and uh, another man named Charles Brody. And in fact, another little segue for those who are really interested, Kimbrough later in life uh, published his own novel called Defender of the Angels. And in that novel, Strike Hinton is his uh, his alter ego, and it recounts a black cop, a black detective's uh, forays uh, in those early days, or at least the 30s and 40s in Los mm-hmm. Angeles as a police detective. So all that to say is that all this then becomes the uh, the the meat uh, for what will become the second novel. Right, Cotton comes to Harlem, which is really sort of real, sort of the first novel where we really have Coffinet and Gravedigger center stage. Yeah, and how many books are there in the series? I, know wanna, I, I think eight, but I may be wrong about okay. that because by the time we get to Blind Man with a Pistol, which is mm-hmm. the last one published before his death, because then right. Plan B shows up later. But now that's even less about Coffinet and Gravedigger, right. though they are there. In, in, a, in, a, in a fashion. Uh, Plan B, start, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy book to read because it starts initially with a plot. And then about halfway in, I think Himes figured out or said, well, you know what? I, I really want to go do this other thing. And so I'm going to start to have them characters really veer off. And if I'm not mistaken, well, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away for people to read. Sure, sure. Yeah. Spoiler alert yeah. for a 30-year-old, yeah. for a 50-year-old book. Exactly for the yeah. old book, but but not, but suffice it to say that that by the time he gets to the second part of that book, it's just off and running, and it's just it's sure. it's wild. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I before you start uh, reading, uh, the, the, you hit on a theme that I'm I'm fascinated by with the career arc. I feel like everyone starts out wanting to write the great American novel, and when it doesn't work out for them, they sort of discover genre. Yeah. Uh, and for the better writers, all of the brilliance and um, heart and reality that they're bringing to their original novels is in their their genre novels. Right. Uh, uh, famously, I think Philip K. Dick goes through this. He writes a bunch of fairly mediocre, serious novels and a bunch of fairly mediocre science fiction pop boilers it's when he decides to take his science fiction novels seriously right. and graft his serious ideas but with robots with robots know, exactly with right. aliens then he creates something new and glorious and original and my you know my dad who was a, a pulp fiction hard-boiled writer like you are he too he wrote six novels before the sixth one was published right the kind of like stick-to-itiveness you don't <laughs> you don't get a lot and those first five are all serious novels and yeah. sell. And he looked at the market and went, 
well, Mickey Spillane's doing well. I guess I can channel my life experience into a, into a guy with a Colt 45 and a, a pork pie hat in Manhattan. Right, right. And uh, and he writes The Tall Dolores, which is his first mystery. And those books become just as personal and just as autobiographical. Exactly. As you know, we, no one can stop writing autobiography. That's right. We That's right. do it. You, you, you know, it would be more work to not be autobiographical. Biographical. Yeah, right. To That's strip exactly. yourself out of your genre novels would be exhausting. Yes. Uh, compared to just giving the world what you are and what you believe. But anyway, I didn't realize, I didn't, I had never thought about Himes having a similar, and you know, if he hollers, let him go is still a crime novel. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, there is a crime. It, you know, it's a, it's a very dark, uh, was that ever filmed? I can't remember if that was ever filmed. No, I don't believe so. I, I mean, certainly when it was written, no one would have filmed that. That's book. right. That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. No studio in the world would have sat down yeah. and thrown money at anyone uh, to make that movie. Maybe Stanley Kramer would have tried it in 62 when he was yeah. making message pictures. Yeah. Um, but he had uh, Inherit the Wind to make. But yeah. anyway, let's, let's dive into Coffin Ed and Gravedigger in uh, Cotton Comes to Holland. And I, I, let me mention too, uh, Michael, that as we're talking about it, is this is actually really not, this is actually, a, oh, here we go, put it in the camera. This is actually a library book. I actually do have this dang book and it's more in the, uh, from this from this series when it was done. Oh, wait, let me get in right in the camera. There we go. It was when this was, when this was done. Uh, but a lot of my, some of my fiction is tucked away in storage and it just was easier to just go to the dang library That's and get funny. the book. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to, I'm going to read just a little bit that gives us a bit of, of what, who Coffin and Gravedigger are. And yeah, and, and like and like that, then we'll talk about it a little bit, maybe, or talk about whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> the rain had stopped when he got outside and people were back on the wet sidewalks, strolling aimlessly and looking about as if to see what might have been washed from heaven. They walked up a couple of blocks where the little black battered sedan with the supercharged motor was parked. It had got much cleaner from the rain. You've got to take it easy, Ed. Man. Gravedigger said, one more second and you'd have killed her. Coffin Ed took away the handkerchief and found that his nose had stopped bleeding. He got into the car without replying. He felt guilty for fear he might have gotten Digger into trouble, but for his part, he didn't care. Gravedigger understood. Ever since the hoodlum had thrown acid into his face, Coffin Ed had no tolerance for crooks. He was too quick to blow up and too dangerous for safety in his sudden rages. But hell, Gravedigger thought. What can one expect? Those colored hoodlums had no respect for colored cops unless you beat it into them or blew them away. He just hoped those slick boys wouldn't play it too cute. The trucks were still where they had been wrecked, guarded by harness cops and surrounded by the usual morbid crowd. But they drove on down to where the bodies lay. They found Sergeant Wiley of Homicide beside the body of the bogus detective, talking to a precinct sergeant and looking bored. He was a quiet, gray-haired, scarly-looking man dressed in a dark summer suit. Everything is wrapped up, he said to them. We're just waiting for the wagon to take them away. He pointed at the body. Know him? They looked They looked him over carefully. He must have been from out of town, eh, Ed? Gravedigger said. Coffin Ed nodded. Sergeant Wiley gave them a rundown. No real identification of any kind, just a phony ID card from the DA's office and a bogus detective shield from headquarters. He had been a big man, but now he looked small and forlorn on the wet street and very dead. They went up and looked at the other body and exchanged looks. 
Wiley noticed. We're over by the delivery truck, he said. Mean anything? No. He was just a sneak thief. Must have gotten away is all. True moniker was Early Gibson, but he was called Early Riser. Worked with a partner most of the time. We'll try to find his partner. He might give us a lead. Sure as hell ain't got no other, Coffin Ed added. Do that, Wiley said, and let me know what you find out. We're going to take a look at the trucks. Righto, there's nothing more here. We took a statement from the driver of the truck that smashed the armored job and let him go. All he knew was that the three of them looked like, and we know what they look like. Any other witnesses? Gravedigger asked. Hell, you know these people, Jones. All stone blind. What you expect from people who are invisible themselves? Coughing in, said roughly. So it gives us some insight into uh, these cops, their their state of mind. And I should mention that the idea of them both being uh, rough characters, or at least Coughing in being a rough character, that also is translated apparently from uh, both um, uh, uh, Kimbrough and Brody. And, and I read this story once and I can't remember which one it was but I want to say it was Brody. I think Brody was the meaner of the two of them. And apparently Brody was so tough, he he pissed a whip a white kid and was not reprimanded. Now this is, you know, 40s Los Angeles. So right. I guess that's, not, that's just how rough Brody was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you couldn't get even it'd be hard to get away with that even today. Even today, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's uh and and yeah, the acid attack is from Rage and Harmlem for love of Imabel. That's right, um, and it's that's in the right. movie as well, and it, it in, that's right. It carries right. forward with Gravedigger right. and Ed throughout the yeah, rest yeah. of the. Series. Although, although you, you're right, but in the in the seventies films, the two seventies films, mm. that's not you know Raymond Saint Jacques is you know looks like Raymond Saint Jacques. He's very yeah, handsome, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, not, yeah. but he's yeah. not scarred by, it, by Raymond Saint Jacques and uh, uh, it's not it's not Dick Gregory who who plays the other. It's, uh, it's uh, Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge. Godfrey Cambridge plays Cough, uh, plays Grave Digger, and uh, and, uh, yeah. and Raymond is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, Coffin Ed. He yeah, does, right. but he, but Raymond does have Coffin Ed's temper. There's, yeah. there's a couple of times in, in either either one of the films, particularly in, in Cotton Comes to Harlem, where he has to you know hold him back from uh, beating the guy to death. Yeah. And what's the sequel called? Uh, Come Back Charleston Blue. Come Back that Charleston is, Blue. That's right. That's and not that's the title of the book. And I forget the title of the book. But as, yeah. it is based on one of the other books, but it's not the title of the book. And they're moved forward to the seventies. It's only that's the right. uh, it's that's only right. the uh, Bill Duke movie that's a period film. Yes, that's correct. That's, I really that's... wanted him to make a sequel with George Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, make make yeah. make Cotton Comes to Harlem. I mean, right, why right, not? Right. Um, exactly. And uh, and again, that's a that's a perfectly great series for someone to revive. Even in the present day, well, it is, man. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not giving anything away that to say that I, I somewhat, what, I may be back down the rabbit hole. I, I was, I was trying to chase down the, not the film rights. I was curious about the literary rights, mm. and um, because you know, I believe neither Himes nor the second wife, who became the executor of the estate, had children, mm. um, and so when they died. And their agent apparently outlived, and the agent was like, you know, in her nineties, and and she apparently was very hard to deal with, and she passed. Mm. So it's unclear at this moment, and I, you know, not naming names, but I've contacted someone who purportedly has something to do with the estate. But then I was told that it's still in probate, which I can't believe it. How could you know what I mean? It's been so many that's years, but, yeah. but yes, but it, but it goes to show you the mess and the entanglement. Apparently, that's got to be pulled apart, right? 
I guess Samuel Goldwyn Company still has the film rights, I suppose. Yeah. But as to literary rights, who knows? So anyway, all that to say is, that, yes, it, it would be a great series to revive. Um, and I'm really, I, I'm hungering to do an anthology of the two characters with, you know, with modern day writers, either set in the periods or set in the seventies, yeah. however they want to do it, but do, but do that. Yeah. They're yeah. such amazing characters and yeah, probably, probably way easier to pry the comic book rights out, right. of, out of somebody than the movie some, rights. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, I know our friend David Walker did that with uh, the Shaft. The Shaft. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I had thought that, you know, dynamite hunted them down, but of course that was a silly thing for me to assume. And found out later that David had hunted down those rights and obtained them, and then sort of made a deal with Dynamite to make the package. Them. Exactly, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. those are great comics. He did an amazing job with the character. Yeah, no, man. Which which should have gotten a lot more love than it did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's you know, go 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 buy David Walker's Shaft comics, everybody, because those are great. And pick up and the did. Bebop Barbarians. There you go. Right. There we go. But he, yeah, you know, and he also them. did. He also did the the novel. He also did Shaft's Revenge that yeah. the Dynamite put out. But I don't think they quite understood how to market a paperback, right? Prose. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they tried. They they tried to do prose for a little bit, and uh, yeah, you know, it didn't. Uh, I don't think it washed. I have to say, my favorite Shaft title for things that would not fly in 2022 is shaft among the jews <laughs> yes <laughs> i saw that in a bookstore when i was a teenager and that was in the you know 80s and i was like wow shaft among the jews huh? yeah, exactly that's right <laughs> i think it's set in the diamond district it's not that's an right. inaccurate title per that's se. right that's right <laughs> speaking as one of the jews it doesn't particularly offend me it's just a really, <laughs> it's just a really funny fucking title i know you shaft among the jews yeah, I, I have, the, like, I have a paperback of that exactly. shaft among the jews the adaptation i think that that, that, that's right there you go that's right uh, the also there was it. remember there was also the other one uh shaft has a ball <laughs> oh yeah. yeah yeah well look you know you selling paperbacks man like you know i have no i have all the respect in the world for a, an eye-catching title you know right. whatever works yeah. and a lurid and a hopefully a, a semi-lurid cover oh, an, an incredibly lurid. my father uh ghosted for a series called no kidding the coxman spelled with an x uh, they were all written by Troy Conway. And yes. because my father was the only ghost who admitted he was writing these books, <laughs> they are often, they're like 27, 30 books in the series. They're yeah. often all credited to him. And it's like, no, he just wrote 11 of them, just 11 of them. Just 11. That's it. Uh, but one of the best that he did get the title in there, The Cunning Linguist. So he wins, <laughs> he wins, he wins the prize for Lurid, yeah. Lurid title. Um, you know, that, that will attract an audience. That's um, right. But yeah, it was the same thing when he wrote the Midwood sex novels in the fifties and sixties, Midwood and Beacon. Yes. You know, ton of best-selling writers wrote those books, but he was the only one who was like the little black book by Mike Avalone. I'm on board, you know, like <laughs> no, no shame, man. And, That's uh, great. You know, I, I, I think shamelessness is a good thing, but um, That's it. did, uh, did Heim stay in, in France for most of his life, or did he come back to the states at some point? He he came back to the states now and then because there is you can find it on YouTube. There was a uh, show called Soul mm. in the early seventies. Uh, in fact, there's a there's very interesting there's a nice little documentary about the making of Soul. I mean, the man who 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 was the brains behind it and what have you. 
because he would have various guests on. He would, you know, he would have Farrakhan on. He would have mm. it was a music, it was a music show, sort of pop culture show, but he also had you know guests on. So we'd have Farrakhan on and this and that. And there's a, there's an episode where he has Heinz uh, uh, on for a segment, and, he, and he's wow. talking to him and stuff. And so maybe this is pro- this probably coincides with the time when the when the uh, films were getting made, and, and I'm, they probably brought Heinz back for the you know uh, promotion promotional junket and what have you and and his name was kind of getting uh rediscovered right he was kind of getting known again um right. so, that, so so you can look at that interview but then but no but so the the answer is from what i understand then he he eventually you know he where he dies he dies in spain i forget the town but he right. I, I think he eventually he and the wife then wind up in in spain um which is where he passes right and and do you know about how old he was you know, I I don't, David. I, my my recollection was I have read his his age. I want to say seventy eight or seventy nine, but I would not be uh, I would not be adverse if somebody is looking that up right now on Wikipedia and and correcting me. But it seems to me that he was in his late seventies, but I, I I certainly could be mistaken. Oh, you cut out what? Wait a minute, what the? I no, I, I had my mic muted for a second because my oh, computer was running. Uh, he was seventy-five. There we go. Okay, all right. So mid, so right, in, right in the middle. There we go. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Soul, which I wasn't familiar with. Are you familiar with the other show called Soul that um, George Schlatter, the producer of Laughing? Yeah. In what year was this? I was very lucky to be able to see it. Sixty-eight. Yeah. He did a pilot for basically Black Laughing. I'll be damned. And it was you'd be if I find the video online anywhere. I saw it at a. I went to a George Ladder book signing and he had his tape of it. But it was Red Fox and George Kirby and Lou Rawls and Martha and the Vandellas. Fantastic. I, think, I feel like Nipsey Russell and Russell. Red Fox were the were the hosts. Were the hosts? Yes. Yeah, yeah. White. Uh, you know, written by an all black, uh, right. He literally like, I can't remember the story he told, but it was something like he went to, you know, uh, a black high school in Los Angeles and said, give me your best writing students. I'm putting them in a room to write <laughs> for a network television show. Right, right. I've seen it. It's an amazing show. I'll be it's really funny. It's really well written. And of course, yes. and the network of course went. Yeah, we were willing to let you shoot the pilot, hoping you would fall on your ass right. with your high school student writing staff. But uh, now that you've done this beautiful pilot, no way in hell we're showing it to anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, Slaughter was ahead of the curve on that one. That's amazing. Well, you know, um, this will then this this segues right to back to One Shot Harry, set in sixty three LA, right? And the character's a uh, freelance photographer, so that's pertinent to the, to this real quick story. So in the novel, I mentioned that Harry sometimes works for a black men's magazine called Dapper. Well, there was no such name sure. for, for that magazine, but there was Duke. And Duke, in fact, lasted maybe five issues. It was a black men's magazine in the Playboy mold. Uh-huh. And in fact, boasted uh, some original fiction as Playboy does in the, or certainly did then. Mm-hmm. Uh, including a story by Ray Bradbury, I think, which the original title was uh, "Way the Up last in the White, Middle of the Air." The last white man on Mars. Oh yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it's been reprinted under different title. Yeah, but that was that was it originated in the pages of wow. Duke Every Magazine. once in a while, I feel like it gets grouped in with the Martian Chronicles. Possibly, yes, I'm sure it does because it does have a new. It has a different title now, but it's yeah. essentially the premise is that black folks have now um, uh, relocated to Mars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's one, there's a story of his, I've considered reading it, but again, I don't think my voice or Bradbury's is the most appropriate for it, but there's one called The Other Foot, Yes, which is about a black colony on Mars that has escaped to, actually, it's a sequel, he did a story called Way Up in the Middle of the Air, where yeah. every black person in the South is leaving for Mars. Oh, okay, oh, wow. And the, and the story is told from the perspective of a white guy sitting on a porch going, They'll miss us. They'll miss the South. And all the black people streaming by basically laughing at him going, you have no idea how Dig much it. you needed us. Dig it. We're all going to be gone now. And who's right. going to cook your food, man? No one. Right. No one's going to cook your food. And they get on rockets and leave. And then there's another story called The Other Foot where it's 30 years later. So maybe it's the other, maybe it's the other, maybe it's the other foot that the was other originally. Foot. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, right. Where yeah. a white man shows up at the black colony on Mars. That's right. There you and go. Says, Look, we had a nuclear war. I got a ship full of survivors. That's we it. Really, could you let us be here? Yeah. And there's a momentary frenzy where the black denizens of the town start putting whites only, you know, blacks only, blacks only. Uh, you know, uh, drinking fountains up. And right. They, <laughs> Porting off the back of the bus for white people and all that. And then at the end, of course, the community leader goes, actually, we're better than you. And we're not going to do any of there that. There we go. There we go. Of course, you're welcome to come live with us as brothers. But I love that there's that initial like, hey, fuck them. We're going to oppress them exactly like we have. We're going to do Jim Crow on Mars. On Mars. That's we're right. reverse exactly. Jim Crow on Mars. Right. And so then think, so the momentary rage passes and they yeah. go, you know what? It's fine, That's whatever, right. asshole. Come so be that, on Mars with us. That that story originated it was originally published in Duke. As the sense, and yeah. it makes sense that you know Bradbury was definitely not fascinated by racial stories in his yeah. career. It's not a thing that comes up a lot in his work. So it kind of makes sense that like he heard about that market. Yes. And then, Black people in science fiction. Yeah. I can do a thing. I can, I, can right. do a, yeah. I can do a civil rights thing in on Mars. That'd be fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh so yeah. No, it's it's it is very interesting sometimes, particularly when writers from that period try to take on race. Mm -hmm. And I think again, there's some language in it that's dated, but the other foot still reads pretty good. It's yeah. still the basic premise is still solid. Dude. You know, and that reminds me as a tangent. Um you know, the whole thing about picking up another artist's work and going forward with it, if it's a great work, you still want to go, well, what What were the flaws? Mm -hmm. What did the genius miss the first time? And with that TV version of The Watchmen, or of Watchmen, yes. I kind of love that Damon Lindelof went, Watchmen is a brilliant graphic novel written by an Englishman about American culture who has no idea about the centrality of race in America. Right. And so he doesn't cool. care yeah. about it at all. He's got one black dude who's a sort of yeah. close psychologist, and that's it. Right. Well, no, there's two, right? There's the kid at the at the at the yeah, the little kid at the, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But even that is kind of like a hokey mid-century, yeah. right. you know, sympathetic character has to be a little black kid. That's right. Um, but I love that Lindelof went, you know, he really missed the boat on race. So I'm gonna make my watchman about race. About race, yeah. yeah. And it's brilliant. 
you know, it it's, yeah. it's really great stuff. It but, is. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much, Gary. I don't want to keep you too for no, I, know we, we I appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you want to come back and read, uh, you know, uh, the real cool killers, or uh, if y'all or anything, or Mickey Spillane. There we go. That's it. That, right, yeah. So because we, we talked, we talked about it. We we talked about uh, a one deadly night where where uh, a hammer goes out and kills all the commies. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never read that one. I have. Oh, you got to read it. It's it's quite something. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I mean, Spillane is at his best. He's back it. Yes. He's just yes. absolutely, and it drove my dad crazy when they were compared to each other because my father was, you know, my father was a his own kind of tough guy and a World yeah. War II veteran and all that, yeah. but he was a very gentle man. Yeah. And Ed Noon is nothing like Mike Hammer in any way, shape, or form. And there's actually a book called um, "There's Something About a Dame," yes. where Ed, oh, yes. Noon, Ed Noon encounters a detective named Vince Devlin, who is transparently Mike Hammer, yes, and kills him in the last scene. You know, <laughs> uh, because he was like, you know, fuck this comparison. Dig it. Um, anyway, man. So great talking to you. This will uh, this will probably be up on Monday. Very cool. Uh, so uh, I'll send you links and all that. But thank you so much for joining me, sir. I appreciate you having me, man. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.